From the iHeartRadio studios in New York City, come two diehard fans of the greatest rock and roll band hailing from Hollywood, California. Dissecting all things Guns N' Roses and anything else in their distorted minds, it's Brando and Scotto. And this is Appetite for Distortion. Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 20. My name is Miranda. With me, as always, is my partner in perfect crime, Scotto Kamian. What's going on, Hot Pants? Not much, man. It's it's hard to be as like upbeat during the intro when you're hearing that because you're kind of reflecting on things. I know, I know. For, and for me, what I'm kind of reflecting on is hearing Axel sing Black Hole Sun. I start to think about how Axel probably feels singing songs like Estranged up on stage. He could probably relate to where Chris Cornell was at on some level, and I'm sure it hit him deeply. If I if I had to guess, yeah, the the people who were at the the Slane show. In, in Ireland, uh, which got great reviews, saying that you kind of saw the emotion on his face. And actually, I'm going to bring up the song now because he does, you know, a little thanks to Chris, but not much, but nice to hear. Yeah, and I don't get the impression that they were great friends or anything, but there is history there. Oh, there is history. Remember this? I think this was from um, 92 on MTV's Headbangers, uh, Headbangers Ball. You know, Chris, I read in an interview from Axl Rose that he said that he thinks you're like the best vocalist out there. Wow. <laughs> did, you, did you, are you friends with those guys? Or um, We met him. We met Axl. Uh-huh. He came to a couple of our shows. I know he's a big fan of yours. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he sounds like Ben Stein there. Wow. Yeah, it's not a very enthusiastic. And there is another, and we're going to come full circle, just to show you where life goes. Um, here's a quote, actually, from uh, from Chris from um, 2005, I believe, about when Soundgarden toured on that User Illusion tour. Uh, what he remembered about touring with GNR. He says, there were two main things. First, they had this enormous aluminum stage with catwalks, and at the end of each catwalk was a teleprompter. So Axel could read the lyrics to his own songs, which I thought was a little weird uh, since they only had two albums. The other thing was that you were now not allowed to be in a hallway or anywhere Axel might see you uh, when he was walking between the dressing room and the stage unless you were Chris Cornell. Again, this is Chris talking about himself and his experience with GNR. So one day I see a, a security guard walking him down this long corridor uh, where there's no one except for me. And it's like they want me to see him. 
He's wearing his Axl Rose tennis shoes that say Axl Rose on them, and these teeny tiny painted on red shorts. Thankfully, those are in the past. Uh, and a backwards baseball cap and a fur coat that goes onto the floor. Uh, and he just walks by and goes, hey, bro. And that was it. At that point, it's uh, one of those moments where you think about your life as a comic book, and this isn't really happening. Oh, Axel. So well, and that's, that's a, it's an interesting story, especially in retrospect, from a, a guy that we lost. That's also like the dichotomy of the um, end of, of the hair metal, whatever, era into the grunge era. Because Guns N' Roses were, many would say, like the pinnacle of a rock and roll band. It was all about being flashy on some level. They might not have looked like the members of Poison or anything like you know like that other than at the very beginning, but they did have a look, they did have a presence, and then when Soundgarden, Nirvana, uh, Stone Temple Pilots, you get thrown there, Alice in Chains, when those bands came around, they were dressed like the members of the audience. It was flannel, long hair, and it was this attitude of, I don't really give a shit what I look like up here, it's about the music. Right. So, I mean, it was interesting to see all the outpour of love uh, from basically all genres of music. Of course, in our world, uh, Slash and, and Duff, um, I mean, especially Duff being from Seattle. Sure. And when they played that Black Hole Sun, uh, the cover at Slane, they had the Space Needle in the back. Um, but what I do want to ask you, because when I first heard it, it's, it's weird hearing any other cover, because this happened with... Uh, when Glenn Fry passed, it ha- especially happened with with Prince, um, with Scott Weiland, even with other um, acts paying tribute. And what I like about uh, Soundgarden, it's not all been Black Hole Sun. There's been some variations. I think one of the best that I heard was uh, Living Color. They did. Um, did they do My Wave or a, a Blow Up uh, the Outside World? And that was a great, great cover. Candlebox did a great cover. As well, and I was—I mean, I didn't expect Guns N' Roses to do a tribute, um, mid like in a concert. I guess maybe tweets. So I, I really liked the sentiment of it. But I, the, the song choice—I want to ask you, because I don't know. I mean, Axel's—I mean, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy criticizing Axel's voice. Just these first couple shows, I don't know. He sounded better last year. Whatever. I mean, I'm—I we still want to go. Hopefully, getting tickets to the Madison Square Garden show. But I didn't feel like this was the right song. I would have preferred, you know, Spoonman or Rusty Jesus, Cage. I think would have been yeah, awesome. Or, or yeah, something with like a more rasp yeah. instead of more singing. And I think what the covers of Soundgarden and Chris have done is really isolate how talented of a singer he was. And I know that sounds stupid because you should know that already. But now that I'm hearing, unlike with Prince, where you can do a great version of it, and I'm like, oh, I, I appreciate it for what it was. But here, hearing Black Hole Sun by Axel, it just sounded weird. But yeah. maybe the first time I heard Axel DC, it sounded weird, and it has to grow on me, but not like he's going to be, Axel's not going to be fronting Soundgarden. Although hearing it the second time, um, you know, when you just played it, it sounds better than when I originally heard it just yeah. on Facebook. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So it's grown on me a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think, like, I would have loved to have seen him do Rusty Cage, Blow Up the Outside World. Mm. Like, th- those actually would be really good ones, or... Uh, just any of the heavier stuff, I think, would have worked for him. Yeah, no, I agree. But the fact that they did it in general was, was amazing. And here's something Very else cool. I want to ask your uh, your opinion on because they just because um, they had a couple of shows and they also so that was one new song. I mean, I don't know if they're gonna make that part of the the set list now or spra- cool. or sporadically do it. Uh, they played twat. They played there was a time something that I've been talking about for a while, and watching it, I was surprised by my reaction. I felt uncomfortable. 
because I am so used to hearing that guitar solo, not in the sense of how, what Slash has done with the, the title track or better, uh, meaning making it his own. He really kept to the Buckethead solo, but I'm like, that's Buckethead. And it's just, it's Slash not doing his song, his music, putting his spin on it. So it was really weird to see that. I'm like, that's that's not even Guns or I don't know what that is. That's like that's a, that's like a weird. It sounded great, uh, but it was just it was weird. Does that make any sense to you at all? No, I mean Buckethead is such a unique sound that you really you know it's him when you hear it. And also, I remember a while back Slash saying, you know, before the reunion that Buckethead is a great technical player, but that he doesn't have soul. Said something to that effect, which I disagree. I think you know his face definitely doesn't show any emotion because he's got a mask on and a bucket on his head. And I just found out that Buckethead scored a horror movie of the unreleased. It was the second Chainsaw Massacre, uh, and one of the characters who's I fucking forget his Bill Mosley, who's in all those Rob Zombie movies. Yeah, and there was like an unreleased movie of that character, and the whole thing was scored by Buckethead. He does so much, and it was like never released. They only have the shitty trailer online. That's crazy, but yeah, he um, I disagree with uh, the idea. Oh, Buckethead doesn't have soul. He has a lot of soul when he plays. I think the problem with weird one. (laughs) Yeah, my problem with Buckethead is just there's no filter. Um, you know, he puts out like a million releases a year, (laughs) and uh, about like. 10 to 25% of it or so is is quality stuff, and the rest you're like, what exactly is this? But, I mean, like, the point was just, it was weird. You know, I didn't, I didn't get it from This I Love or any of the other Chinese tracks. Because you felt he made it his own. He made it his own, and I was skeptical about that because I liked the tracks as is, but I liked what he did with it. But the There Was a Time solo, to me, and this is not even saying it now, is one of the best solos I've ever heard. I mean, from that was, I, t- I told you it took me three listens to really process Chinese democracy. That song, that solo right away, I'm like, holy fucking shit. You're making me want to listen to it. This, I might on the way home. Yeah, it was completely, for me, that song alone was, and, and Prostitute were like worth, yeah. I don't know if anything's worth 17 years, so maybe your virginity, uh, worth the wait. You didn't, I, I'm wondering, you didn't feel, the first time I heard Chinese <laughs> democracy, <laughs> the first time I heard Chinese democracy itself, the song... I was like, holy yeah. shit. Yeah. This no. is, that song still, um, if I'm working out, if I'm running, that is like a staple to get me pumped. The same way people listen to Welcome to the Jungle to get them pumped, I put that up there with I it liked it. I thought it was, if anything, it was it was trying to recreate Welcome, like a, a new album intro. But then again, Slash does the same thing because I felt that way about uh, Sucker Train Blues with Velvet. You know, Velvet Revolver, Guns. So, I mean, I, I, I like that. You know, as far as the beginning, middle, and then. That's why I love Guns N' Roses. Everything's a story, not just an album. But again, it was just, it was weird. I want to see it again. I prefer that over this I love live. It just begs the question, are they going to keep playing more Chinese democracy? Are they going to pull out uh, random appetite tracks? Are they ever going to get to Slither that we saw on that one set list on that uh, um, the picture with Richard Fortas? Is that ever going to happen? Which we're going to ask Dave about. Right, because um, we are going to get Dave Kushner on. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, and it's just, a, it's a weird, it's just a weird, um, this is more guessing games. It's just more of a mystery that this band is. And I'm, I'm looking forward to it, but I will, if anything, I will take complete stock into what Duff said in their only TV interview, uh, which happened a few months ago, that him and Slash approached Axel about doing Chinese songs, that this isn't Tyron Axel saying, play these. <laughs> so I'm hoping that's still the case. Everyone seems to be doing gravy. So that's what's been going on. And it's just been very cool to see Guns back at it. Although uh, 
I think it was last, as we're recording this, they were supposed to make a big announcement a week ago, and now it's just a, another more uh, tour dates. I thought it was going to be something different. Yeah. Do you think, and I read this- No, one, I remember I was the cynical one being like, eh, probably, probably more, more tour dates. I said the same thing too, but I'm like, I was just hoping. Yeah. And I'm uh, so we'll, we'll see if there's more things to come, but all things are good in the Guns N' Roses world now. Well, well talking about the tour dates though, mm-hmm. you want to get into the openers because it's an oh, interesting yeah. list of I openers. texted you when I first saw this one opener. I'm like, oh, well, I guess uh, Ian's going to be flying to another state to see another show. Yeah, Deftones opening for Guns N' Roses on two shows. You went to six to midnight when you first heard that, didn't you? You know what? Here's the thing, though. I'm a huge, I'm a huge Deftones fan. All right, <laughs> but they don't. Um, I, I feel like you need to see them headline a show. They just don't go over with other audiences as well. Because I've seen them open for Godsmack. I've seen them open for. I'm trying to think. Ah, uh, uh, Metallica. And I never feel like it's the same unless you see a headlining Deftones show, which I'm looking very forward to seeing them headline because I just don't, their music is so different. I just think a lot, a general audience doesn't totally get them, but for them, that has to be a dream come true. Sure, but they're doing that with a lot of bands. Do you have the list in front of you? Of Not in front the... of me. I know live, Our Lady of, Pe- Our Lady of Peace. Okay. Um, well, ZZ Top in Texas. ZZ Top. See, that makes that, see, Which that is that a make, no-brainer. That makes sense. You know, I saw ZZ uh, last summer, and they were great, even though they're super old. Uh, but they were amazing. But like you said, Owl Lady Peace. You know that was. I'm listening to uh, OLP, <laughs> like uh, like like an e- like the emo kid I was in college, and that's certainly. I mean, unless you're me, there's not much. Doesn't seem to be much crossover, and that's something they did last tour. You know, Skrillex and you know, uh, baby metal. You know, I, I like that they're doing it. They They've really... always done that. I feel like even when it was Axel and Friends, I saw Asking Alexandria open for de- for uh, Guns N' Roses, which is way heavier on the spectrum. I saw the Suicide Girls, who, yeah. which is just a burlesque show. <laughs> no complaints there. Yeah. And, uh, oh, they had a Mixmaster Mike when I saw them in 02. There you go. So, yeah, obviously a DJ. So, I mean, it, it's smart. It's smart. You're going to bring on new, uh, new fans. You're really... You know, kind of paving a very broad road for you to be successful. They're kind of uh, doing a combination of things, which they've done, I feel like. Well, picking ZZ Top, as I said, I feel like is a no brainer type of thing because there's definitely crossover there, which is kind of like on the last tour. Lenny Kravitz, Allison Chains, definitely a crossover there. Sure. But then they're picking a few things here and there where they're like, let's experiment a little bit. Yeah. Um, like Billy Talent. I mean that's that's cool how they're getting like a whole like a hometown like uh, Billy Town was last tour yeah uh, you know Canadian band I like how they do that they try to find you know not I mean you might if you're a lesser band you might find uh, a local talent to do it I think Metallica is actually doing that uh, but they're getting somebody like a home tone like a home homegrown cooking yeah you know a little bit so I think that's that's, that's very cool um, but switching gears I'm in a because you, you said like why am I in such a, a good mood talking over a depressing song and over everything is because I have a second chance uh, this episode we interviewed Dave Kushner a week ago we, we did I never heard this and why I, 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 I subscribe on I on, on <laughs> Apple podcasts I, that didn't come up on my feed you, you well, guys interviewed Dave Kushner well you lived it yeah, uh, I, I lived it I did. Dave Kushner lived it and it's gone it's just a conversation we have privately uh like everything else because i am a neurotic jew i try to just be very careful with everything and ocd and save i think i was so excited not just that we were getting dave kushner on 
but the quality of the interview was awesome. And I he ended the interview saying this is one of the best interviews I've done. I in swear all my to God, years. he said this. He did. He really did. And I had it saved, you know. And I looked at the audio file, blah blah blah. And I got home, and three minutes are there, and I'm freaking out. And then I call the guy who's still in the studio, who has access to my files. He's like, "There are three minutes here." My heart sank. And, and we all, still don't know why exactly, do I, we? I, I can only imagine that I was so excited. I may have made it like. I must have saved something over something else. I don't know. I can't relive that moment. Uh, so I was really heartbroken that not just for, yeah, you know what, for myself and for us, because it was a big interview, but for the listeners. I mean, that's uh, Dave Kushner is somebody I've wanted to talk to for a while. I was texting people I knew at like Revolver Magazine. Sure. It was like, you want to get a quote from this interview? And... Uh, you know, my, my ex-girlfriend uh, decided to talk to me because she, that's her favorite, you know, Velvet Revolver member, you know, something. And so I was just so super excited about it. And then when it happened, because we were talking about Chris Cornell, like we're, we're doing now with, with Dave, and we'll get into it again with him, uh, that I, I got depressed, I legit depressed for a few days. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. I'm like, I'm going to have to make up for this somehow if I get, you know booking another big interview, which we're going to try to do anyway, which we will do. Uh, so I, I just messaged uh, Dave a couple of days after because like all guests, we notify them uh, when it's done and when they want to put it out to their, you know, their mediums. Uh, and like I said, you know, and I apologize for what, and I said, what happened? And I said, if, if you want to come back on in the future, uh, we will love it. We could talk about something different. We can't recreate the magic, blah, blah, blah. He gets back to me a day after. He's like, no, we got to fix this. What are you doing next week? So I feel good that the fact that we were lucky enough to talk to him for a non-existent hour last week, and he's coming on again. So I don't want to waste any more of his time. Dave, you there? Yep. Dave, you are the man. <laughs> I mean, I went through every emotion possible. I, I was like, I don't even know. I was like a bipolar, pregnant, schizophrenic woman for three days. Well, the funny thing is, dude, all right, I, I never, you always ask me at the beginning of shows, you say, what episode is this again? Because I don't even remember. What episode is, is this technically? This is episode 20. All right. So we've done like 19 episodes. Everything goes perfectly fine. And to me, I, I'm going to say it, Dave, like biggest guest we've had on, in my opinion, I know we've had on Anthony Boza, who co-wrote Slash's book and people like that. And the shit just hits the fan. And... It sucks, man, and and more than anything, I think we both feel bad about wasting an hour of your time on what was an excellent interview. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, he sounds. <laughs> no, <I'm just> kidding. <laughs> well, now that I, I yeah, I mean, well, now, the, well, I, maybe, I appreciate maybe, that. Maybe it was just, you know, fuck. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe we said some shit that we people weren't supposed to hear. So mm. someone fucking doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves big brother maybe you know though uh it's just funny because i'm and as you established uh because we still want to have um an organic conversation with you now so now especially that you and i are bffs and, and texting back back and forth with emojis and everything yeah um especially. i still want to have an organic conversation because we can't redo like we can't re how, we can't redo what we did we can't redo the magic i think that's the some i'm uh, i'm looking for but uh, I think if anything, I mean, as grateful as we were the first time around, this says a lot about you as a person that, you know, I just said, hey, you know, in the future, if you whatever you want to do, if you want to do it again, that you were so willing to not only redo the interview, uh, but to come on so quickly. 
I think we need to make Dave Kushner like the official mascot of Appetite for Distortion. I mean, that's like, you're a good person. That was what I'm saying. So thank you. You cured my depression of like. Ah, oh, good, good. I think that was what hurt me the most was, you know, yeah, we're talking about, you know, you and I've wanted to interview for a while and we'll get back because we want to rehear, uh, we want to rehear it, our listeners for the first time, your Chris Cornell stories and, you know, things back in the day that you experienced. But yeah. just the, the heaviness of the episode about it, and you know, if it comes up again, I I told you about, and we won't have you feign your surprise that I said, you know, I lost my dad in the same way as Chris Cornell. So I'm not gonna have you go, hey, uh, hey, uh, Dave, <laughs> pretend to gasp now. That's the first time you're hearing it. That's not gonna happen. Yeah. But I think it was those three days after. I'm like, I put so much emotion into this that I wasn't expecting, and what happened. And I'm usually so, you know, cautious and saving everything and. So I was yeah. upset, but when I got that text from you, like, or that um, uh, Twitter message from you, like it matters, you're like, let's redo it. Are you available this day? And I was like, immediate smile, like immediate weight lifted off me. So uh, I, I, uh, you were my Cymbalta that day. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. Uh, All right. I think that's the first time I've ever been referred to as that. <laughs> you're welcome. So as always, though, I do like to introduce who our guest is, and I feel like with this guest, there's really no introduction needed. But of course, Dave Kushner, you guys know him as the guitarist for Velvet Revolver, but he's also played with Danzig, Dave Navarro's band, Wasted Youth. Uh, you've heard his theme song on Sons of Anarchy, as well as Bill Burr's new Netflix show, F is for the Family, and really can't thank you enough for coming back on with us. And I, the one thing I have to say, Dave, is this audience will think I'm making it up if I say it after the fact. But as we wrapped up the interview the first time, Dave genuinely said, in all my years, this is one of the best interviews we've I've done. So I'm hoping we could at least recreate a, a great interview here. Or not screw it up. Well, well, well I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to use that for promos, make a t-shirt out of it. I mean, unbelievable. You got any proof? You have the proof. <laughs> not anymore. Oh, man. What are you up uh, to? Well, uh, again, thank you, Dave, uh, for I, coming on. You mean, what am I up to right at the moment? Yeah. It sounds like you're driving, no? I am driving. Is it really noisy? No, no, you sound cool. It just sounds like you're, you know, you're out oh. and about. You out on the uh, the Sunset Strip. Where you uh, where are you at right now? I just went. I just went over Laurel Canyon, and I'm going to meet a friend of mine. This uh, designer. He's actually a clothing designer. This guy Mark McNary. He has a line called uh, New Republic. Um. Uh, he's a you know our kids go to school together. Very cool. Yeah, I've definitely heard of New Republic. That sounds familiar. All right, so you guys hang out yeah. in the uh, the PTA meetings and everything and rock out. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Amazing to go from uh, now your your PTA dad and uh, one of the things we spoke about last time. We're not going to keep doing in, inside jokes too much. You know, now you're you're trying to cover your grays in your Fu Manchu, but you've been uh, you've been doing this for quite some time, and we got a great story from you last time, and I'm hoping you can uh, tell it again about your first experience seeing uh, Chris Cornell. Um, because this is still very relevant. New details coming out every day, new tributes coming out uh, all the time. At the top of our show, we, we played um, the Guns N' Roses tribute they just played over at uh, Slane. So uh, we would love to hear that story again when you saw him in Seattle all those years ago. Yeah, actually, um, so I was playing in a, I guess it's a, called a jam band. I don't know, I was playing in a, Basically, when I was drinking back in like 80, 
1989, um, the guys from Fishbone put together this band called Trulio Disgracious. And uh, apparently, the mythology is that Julio Glacius Sr. had said to one of the guys in Fishbone, I like to sing as though I have a clitoris in my throat. <laughs> wow, okay. He actually, apparently, he actually said that to one of the guys while they were drinking together or something. I don't know. That's the mythology. But anyway, so we just started this band because everyone drank together. Everyone hung out together. It was like me and, uh, you know, just there was uh, it was all rotating members. It was most of the guys from Fishbone. It was my old roommate, John O'Brien, a um, couple dudes from Parliament Funkadelic, uh, Flea and John Prashanti from the Chili Peppers, uh, the singer girl from the Brand New Heavies, a bunch of different people. So we'd just hang out and drink and play like Sly and the Family Stone and Funkadelic and Parliament and all these covers. And we'd get all these gigs, and we actually ended up getting all these awesome gigs. One of our first gigs was at a little club in L.A. called uh, the the Club Lingerie. And Soundgarden, who I'd never heard of at the at the time, and I think Ultra Mega OK had just come out, and they opened for us, and they were just fucking amazing. Like, you know, there's two different bands I've seen at Club Andre where I just happened upon these bands. One was Tool, and the other was Soundgarden. Wow. So it was just like, it's just unbelievable, you know? It's like you're seeing history in the making, you know? So that was the first time I saw Soundgarden. The second time was right after Louder... I think Louder Than Love had just come out. They saw him at this other place called um, the Country Club out here. And it was like, you know, it was about, I don't know, a thousand people. It was just awesome because they, the band came out to this big, like, crescendo. Chris Cornell's, like, backlit. He comes out, just does this, literally does a Jesus Christ pose at the edge of the stage. Everyone's going fucking bananas. He walks back towards the drum set, and then the band's still, like, crescendoing, and he just fucking runs and off the monitor just does this big swan dive into the audience before he says or does anything. It was just fucking... It was amazing, you know? And people just fucking ape shit. That makes me wonder that for both those bands, for Tool and Soundgarden... As you said, you felt you were seeing history in the making, but did you think you were going to see, you were seeing two bands that were going to become mega superstars, or was the possibility in your head that this is amazing, but maybe the public won't get it? I, you know, I, I wish I could say I had that much forethought in in the moment, but, you know, I think as a, as a fan of music, whether you're a musician or not, you know, but when you're just a music fan and you stumble upon some type of musical greatness slash genius, but you're actually in the room, it's different if you hear it for the first time, you know, like on a record yeah, or whatever. It's a different kind of experience. But when you're in the fucking club and you're seeing Tool for the first time, you're just fucking overwhelmed. 
you know, you don't think like, oh, my God, this band's going to be massive or this, you know, you just think, holy fuck, you know, this is fucking amazing. This is fucking unbelievable. Like you want to call someone and say, get down here, you know, but there was no cell phones back then. So I think at the moment you're just so elated with the, you know, what's happening right now that, I don't know, you don't ever, I never thought that far ahead. Plus, you got to understand that these are all like alternative bands. So it's like no one, no bands were that big at that time anyways. The grunge thing hadn't really happened yet. Right. You got, you know, it's like Ultra Mega OK had just come out. Nirvana, never mind, hadn't even come out yet. So you didn't even realize that the possibility of these types of bands being huge was even possible because the only, the biggest kind of weirdo alternative band at the time was Faith No More, mm. which wasn't huge. You know, they were doing well, but they weren't massive like Soundgarden became or Nirvana or or even Tool. Yeah, it's you know? true. I think, uh, was their first record 89 or before that, uh, Faith No More? Because that, that sort of surprised me because I, you know, I'm just remembering their... One of the, oh, like, one the most first... iconic performances on SNL back in the day with Mike Patton like climbing into like the fan and stuff. But I remember yeah. playing that song on a classic rock radio station, uh, which Guns N' Roses belongs on. Uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of bands, and somebody called up complaining about what is this rap shit about Epic. I'm like, where have you <laughs> been for the best like 20, 30 <laughs> years? What is wrong with you? But then to see that, well, they had a they had the record before that though with the other singer. With the other, yes, yes, yeah. Stuff. And that had come out, I think, in 88, maybe. Okay. So, because I got to imagine, because uh, if I'm still getting complaints about what's, I guess, rap rock, for a, a lack of a better term, although I consider Faith No More way more advanced than that, how it was perceived back then, you know, especially Tool. I, I, can you even remember what Maynard was wearing? Because he usually wears, like, a dress or something weird. I do. You do? Okay. I do, only because... I was in a band called the Electric Love Hogs that was signed to Polygram in 1989 and 19, no, 1990. No, we got signed in 92. It was kind of like a Faith No More-ish type band that played local clubs in 89, 90, got signed to Polygram in like 91, did a record, but, and Maynard was actually a friend of ours and he would hang out with our band all the time and he would tell us, but he was really super meek and unassuming. He'd wear like a fisherman's hat all the time. Mm -hmm. And he would had his like shoulders up and he was just like, Hey, what's up, man? You know, he would come to all our shows. He's like, Hey, you should come check out my band. I'm like, okay, cool. And I just never went for the first like six months. Cause he just like, he just didn't draw me in as a, yeah. With his personality. Because he was just, he was nice and he was cool, but he was super, like, meek. And I, Coconut Tito was right by my apartment. And so I just happened to go in there one night. And I just, he wasn't, I just remember, he didn't have a shirt on. He had the, the haircut and he had that fucking scorpion tattoo going up the back of his spine and just some jeans. And that was it. Hmm. See, then I, I want to ask if this was all new at the time, and you're obviously digging it, and, you know, this is, 
you know, music that you want to call people about on the rotary phone or whatever was existing at the time. <laughs> what influenced yeah. you? Uh, if this, if a lot of you kind of were in uh, the prime of a musical shift, so what bands kind of created your sound? How did you know where you wanted to go directional, like direction-wise? I don't know if I did. I mean, you know, I came from Wasted Youth right before that. You know, but I think that we all, you know, when I was in Wasted Youth, with uh, like I was in Wasted Youth with a drummer from Queens of the Stone Age, Joey Castillo, that was in it for about, in Queens for about 10 years, right after the Dave Grohl record. And, you know, he and I, when we were in Wasted Youth, like we listened to, we all grew up listening to Slayer, I mean, Sabbath and Zeppelin and The Who and, you know, all those bands. But, you know, when we were like in Wasted Youth, we listened to metal. We listened to, I was a huge Slayer fan, still am, you know, and we would listen to a lot of rap. We would listen to metal and we would listen to like Anthrax and Metall early Metallica and Slayer. And then we'd listen to like the first Public Enemy record and EPMD and Eric B and Rakim. And so we had this very like kind of mixed, you know, mixed up fucking musical influences. So even when we were doing Wasted Youth, it went from punk to, you know, kind of a more metal record. And then when I got into the Love Hogs, it was kind of a mix of the Chili Peppers and Faith No More and Suicidal Tendencies. So I didn't really have a direction. We just would try different shit, you know, but it was kind of okay at that time. Like bands like Faith No More and Jane's Addiction made it okay to just try weird shit. I miss that. Like, no one tries weird shit. They say it's weird shit now. Every, there's like a million other people doing that same exact quote-unquote weird, weird shit. shit. It's, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's fascinating that uh, you know, you're living through that and you're at a time where, like I said before, music is, is shifting. Now, I want to go through a little bit more. When did you... Um, well, I actually want to mention this first. I have a group of friends from college that refer to themselves as the Wasted Youth Crew. So I guess, I don't know, I thought you might find that enjoyable. <laughs> um, yeah. Then when did you, because I think we, we did speak about this last episode a little bit, and Ian and I have, have spoken about this for a bit. And, um, and I don't, I'm not going to read this entire letter that we just got on uh, Facebook from Anna from Portugal. We have fans all around the world, just like you, Dave. Uh, yeah, we, nice. We, Welcome to the club. <laughs> we've, uh, we've, because we've spoken about when Guns N' Roses brought up the, the Donald Trump uh, pinata. Uh, in Mexico City, and we, we've spoken about that at length and whether it's appropriate for musicians to do it or, you know, would you go to a show and things of that nature. And uh, I've, I've said that it's ruined. I would never see Ted Nugent because I know I wouldn't have a good time. Ian can kind of separate that. Now, I think it came out a couple of days ago, uh, Danzig said some stuff that I personally don't agree with, but I would love to see Danzig. I've never seen him. I would love to see a Mitzvitz reunion. Um, a one, what's your thought on you know uh, politicizing? I mean, it's rock and roll. It, it's but I guess in today's climate, and you have to have more than a couple of Danzig stories. He seems like a special man. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. You know, as far as the the political opinions and all that stuff, like, I mean, 
Because you're not, I don't see you tweeting about it. I see a lot of other musicians that are your peers doing it. You know, um, in guns. I mean, yeah. you know, Richard Fortas is doing it all the time. Del James is doing it all the time. Of course, you still see Axel and, and Duff doing it. So, um, yeah, again, your perspective. I think, I think, you know, it's it's twofold. You know, I've never been big into politics. Obviously, you know, this is the time where people are more involved than ever. But, you know, I think there's also just certain things I'm just... Because I, I don't feel uh, fully well-versed in what's going on to a certain extent. Like, I, I'm aware, and I, I listen to the news all the time, and I watch and whatever, but, you know, I don't... Like, you don't feel you know, that you, um, I guess, for lack of a better word, educated enough on it? Because that's how I feel with with Ian, because he also works in I, political radio. and I extent, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I know like you. Uh, I watch the news. Um, I you know I open my eyes every day. Um, you know, yes, I'll divert by watching SpongeBob and cartoons just so I don't cry myself to sleep every night. Uh, but yep. I yep. I know when to with Ian. I'll get to a certain point. I'm like, all right, agree to disagree at this point. You know, we'll we'll and then we'll continue holding hands and being friends. Uh, but I, I should have thought that part of it. Uh, but yeah, so yeah. I mean, that, that's that's cool that you're like that because there are a lot of people who speak out and they don't know enough, and there are a lot of just like you, a lot of people who look up to you, and whether it's right or wrong, will take their opinion and make it their yeah. own. But I, I also hear both sides of it, too. You know what I mean? Like, my... I mean, I have relatives that are hardcore Republicans. Hardcore, like, ex-Vietnam vet servicemen, like, and just, you know, are can give me 10 to 20 valid sounding reasons why you know Trump is the guy and then I also have relatives that are the exact opposite and then can give me 10 20 reasons why he's not the guy sure and they both sound valid you know what I mean you can argue both and you can but then I just don't feel like it's it's relevant for me to you know say it sure say I'm on the same page I'm with you Dave I want to uh, I want to shift into some Velvet Revolver gun stuff, but first, um, as as Brando asked, any Danzig stories? Because as you said, there's probably some interesting I, stuff from that era. I honestly don't have any great Danzig. I was really? only in the band for nine. I was in the band for nine months. Okay. With again with Joey Castillo um, from Queens. Actually, the band was killer, dude. It was me. Joey from Queens of Stone Age and Blasco from Ozzy's band. Oh wow, yeah, and, and Blasco also manages a lot of bands. Yeah, Blasco manages Zach. He manages uh, Black Veil Bride. Yep. Okay. He's doing fucking great. And I think he he but managed our, uh, in this moment before they were big. Like he seems to have an eye for what's the next big thing. You know, Black Veil Brides. You could love them. You could hate them. You could think the image is stupid, but they have massive. a huge fan base. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, he's, and it, you know, he's a fucking awesome dude. I love that guy. And, you know, I'm just happy for any success that he has because he's fucking rad. Awesome. So, so, but, you know, it was a great band, but it was actually a period of time when Glenn had lost his voice. Mm -hmm. So it was weird because, you know, we would just practice, and he wasn't there a lot, but then he would come like every few months like every two months and he but he sounded like this 
And he'd say, okay, let's try a song. And then we would do a song, and he would just, he didn't have a voice. Shit. And it was crazy, because it was like that for months. And he would come, and he'd try all these different things, and he'd be like, oh, I just got back from the doctor, and he gave me a shot of this stuff. And and then he would, like, go to downtown to some Chinese herbalist and have all these bags of fucking weird teas and shit. <laughs> and he literally, do for nine months, he, like, sounded like that. And Damn. Finally, we did one show, I think it was in 96, at the Whiskey on Halloween. And it was awesome. And then we were hanging <laughs> we were hanging out afterwards. And, you know, Glenn's just really, like, a light switch. And I mean, that was my experience with him, you know, 20 years ago. But I said something. We were all three of us, all four of us were out, like, at the at the Viper room one night where I forget why, but I said something like about black acid devil. Cause that record had just come out Danzig five when it wasn't a band really, you know, it was just him and all these guests and Jerry Cantrell and whatever, different people. He played guitar on some songs and it was like kind of Trent Reznor, you know, loops and stuff. And I just said, yeah, I said, he's talking about the record. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. It just, it just doesn't sound like a band on that record it just sounds more like a project and he got really pissed and he's mm. like oh i like that record that's a great <laughs> record i'm like well i i mean that's just my opinion dude it just doesn't sound like you know and i think that he he really took offense to it because he was trying to do something different and mm. um, like two days later <laughs> joey calls me up and he's like uh dude yeah you fired that's some bullshit man yeah some people really cannot take you know criticism and and if it's just your your actual opinion i i do as i said want to move on some velvet and gun stuff because but i do appreciate that because i follow uh danzig memes on facebook and it's it's just amazing sorry so i was just i had danzig on the brain no it's cool man um i so uh you know, our audience loves to hear about that era of your life, Velvet Revolver and also guns. So as we were just talking, something kind of came to my mind. Uh, early on on the podcast in the early episodes, I erroneously said that Velvet never played with Izzy Stradlin on stage, which you guys did, as did Axel during the Axel and Friends era of Guns N' Roses. So I was wondering, as a guy with an inside perspective who's played on stage with Izzy, what do you think is the reason that he is not a part of this big reunion? Oh. Um, <laughs> it's a tough one, I know. He's going to yeah. play the fifth like uh, General Flynn. No, no, no I want to see what he says. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, Beavis. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, I, my, my my thing is just well, watching all of you guys play up on stage and watching Axel play on stage with Izzy relatively recently. My my feeling is these guys must get along with each other. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it, you know, it could be a number of things. I mean, it could be a money thing. It could be, you know, the thing. I, my experience with Izzy is I fucking love Izzy. Great guy. It came at a weird time because when he when we were looking for a singer, he was coming around, and I was like, oh, fucking great. Because basically there was the four guys before Scott, and then all of a sudden Izzy comes around, so it's basically Guns N' Roses again. Right. 
I'm like, oh, great. There goes my fucking spot. So I was just freaked out that he was there. And he started coming to rehearsal every day, and Duff was like, dude, don't worry about it. He'll fucking disappear in two weeks, I guarantee it. Because mm. he's just like that. Like, he comes in, he wants to play, he wants to have fun, and then he goes and moves on to the next thing. And it you seems know, like he's like, able to live like that. Like, we've had Art Tavana on the show before who's gotten pretty in-depth with what it is that Izzy does. And we've even read about the fact that Izzy could live comfortably for the rest of his life off the royalties for Appetite for Destruction, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like, I just remember Duff saying to me lightly one day, he's like, it's like being a trust fund kid. You know, because at the point when we started Velvet Revolver, I mean, you don't sell records anywhere near like you used to, but at the point where we started Velvet Revolver, they before they put out that Greatest Hits record in like 2005 or whatever, mm-hmm. they were, he said they would still sell a million records a year. Unbelievable. And they had all, they never sold their publishing. Like they had all kept their publishing from the first, from all the guns and the first, you know, three or four Guns N' Roses records. So they were all consistently making money. I mean, that's so, and, you don't hear that a lot from bands from back then. Actually, maybe no. crazy, but he seems to have some business savvy. Who's that? I said, uh, Axel, he may be crazy, but he, oh. I guess he has some uh, business savvy. Yeah, I mean, that's what they did, you know, because they, they just decided that that was the smart thing to do, and they were right. And, and we know Duff is pretty business savvy as well and has made some big investments, which he's talked about. I believe, I know that there's going to be, you know, GNR nerds who will correct me if I'm incorrect on this, but I believe on Appetite for Destruction, they shared the songwriting credits as bands often do on their first album. Just, you know, that whole mentality of we're a gang, we're in this together. And people have to realize, uh, you know, anytime they want to use Welcome to the Jungle on a Taco Bell commercial or whatever, those guys get paid. I was happy watching uh, one yeah. of the, uh, I think, game one of the Stanley Cup Finals, and they were playing Slither over the uh, the loudspeaker. Nice. So I was happy about oh, that. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. So, I mean. That's awesome. They, they freaking should be playing it, you know? I mean, uh, you guys, it's so, it's so great that uh, I think we, way before like we tweeted you what your favorite Velvet Revolver song was. And if I remember correctly, it's uh, uh, Let It Roll or Get Out the Door. Which one was it? Obviously, I don't I think it was Get Out the Door. Okay. Get Out the Door and Illegal Eye were two of my favorite songs. I mean, there's, I don't know. You know, you have favorite songs for different reasons. Sure. Oh, for sure. But um, now that you, it's funny that you, you mentioned that, and I remember uh, talking about when Izzy uh, kind of showed up and you were worried. I remember being on the My GNR forum at the time and people making that speculation, and there was kind of a, a Team Dave, Team Izzy thing and, and saying how it wouldn't be fair to you. And, I mean, obviously things, I mean, I, I, couldn't, I can't say worked out in Velvet Revolver, but <laughs> regarding that situation worked out for you. Uh, what if you yeah. were put in a similar situation with this current reunion? Because I uh, like where were you, was your head at when there was speculation on who would fill out that band other than the the three of right. Duff Slash and Axel? Yeah, it's like I got all excited because I started to believe it myself. I'm like, oh, this is awesome! I might be in Guns N' Roses, <laughs> you know, and it didn't happen. But <laughs> but you know. It's funny because I, you know, sometimes I get sucked into that stuff too. Sure. Especially, you know, like on Twitter because it's just easy. 
and you're just sitting, you're looking at your phone every, you know, 10 minutes for some reason or another. And I just, you know, I started to kind of believe it myself. It's so funny. And I knew like no one had fucking called me or Duff wouldn't, didn't even mention. It's not like anyone said anything to me. You know what I mean? And I kind of knew that, that Richard and Frank were probably going to get the gigs. So, but even knowing that I was still kind of rooting for myself. Of course. In some, contest that I wasn't even really in. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to be in Guns N' Roses? Other, other than maybe Bumblefoot. <laughs> We're both thinking that. Yeah. Who seems to, like, you know, dismiss his past. But, I mean, I, I think even just on a resume, guitarist for Guns N' Roses, even if people say, oh, it's not the real Guns N' Roses, I, I don't think anyone would mind having that. Yeah, dude, no one would mind. You know what I mean? Unless, I don't know. I personally don't have that much musical integrity. <laughs> you know I, mean? I have some but not that much i love it i appreciate uh, the honesty i guess with that <laughs> um so i so, guess when so did you ever did you foresee this happening because obviously you, you've been um friends with slash since since high school and i remember our our non-existent first interview uh, <laughs> you were uh, a little skater boy like avril would sing about and uh so slash was bmxing everywhere so was there time, whether it was before or after or during Velvet, that he would talk about the old days that it could happen again? Or were you guys totally Velvet Revolver, 100%, this is my new life? Or they were, rather, him and uh, There and was Duff. a time where when we were making our second record, there was a time where the only reason it came up was because I think Irving Azoff started managing us. We had switched managers and Azoff and then Azoff started managing Axel mm. and the new guns. Huge conflict and of Scott, interest. Yeah, and then Scott got really super paranoid that I mean, but you gotta understand with Irving it was like he's got a lot of other managers underneath him, so it was like it's so spread out, you know, because it's got so many bands, or it did at the time, that, you know, it wasn't that much of a conflict because Guns it just kind of goes on its own, you know. And, and the thing is, is that, but Scott got really paranoid, and he was like, I think he was just on something at the time, and mm -hmm. he, like, I remember being at rehearsal at SIR and, and us talking to him getting telling one of the other managers to get Irving on the phone and him just like going on this rant to Irving, like you're just trying to get guns and roses back together. And you, I know what you're doing. And he just went on his tirade. And, you know, at the time they both Duff and Slash were like, it's never going to happen. Hmm. I mean, up until it happened, they still said it was never going to happen. Yeah. And they couldn't foresee it happening. And they were so stealth about any meetings. You know, they didn't want to tell anyone because if it gets out, you never know if it's because you told that person you thought you could trust. You know what I mean? So sure. I didn't hear about it really till it happened. For that to happen in this day and age really is incredible. You know, it's not like this is um, 
I don't want to keep bringing because Ian's more the political person, but politics and when you really have to dig and research and you can always find out something no matter how long it takes but with guns and roses it's just like it's 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 just tight-lipped and it's just it's it's fascinating that's what i think i appreciated more about velvet revolver because he was the, the people who i loved but he was more accessible and that's something that's kind of been a love-hate thing for me with guns it's like i love them but i just i don't know if i feel part of that gang just because there's always some sort of distance you know, at arm's length that you just don't know yeah. what's going on. But with you guys in Velvet, I mean, um, I think I mentioned to you last time because uh, I saw um, uh, twice in um, what Starland Ballroom in Jersey, and I happened to meet Slash and Duff behind because uh, it's like in the middle of nowhere. So it was just like yeah. in, in yeah. a backyard, I guess. And they were signing autographs, very approachable. And once it was in uh, West Palm oh, yeah, Beach. Oh, yeah, the back parking lot. Yeah, yeah, the back parking lot. I guess we got there super it's early. Because it's like off of a highway, like yep. in the middle of fucking nowhere. Yeah, I had never I been there before. And we got there super early. I'm like, I want to be up against the stage. And we were like the second online, uh, second people online. And all of a sudden, we could see a bunch of people running like to the back. One of my friends like, you go back there, see what's going on. I'm like, okay. There's <laughs> a slash of Duff signing autographs. So It's it, funny you say that, man, because I think I've, I've told you that's where I met Nikki Six as a 17 or so year old. So Something about I, that place. Yeah, I guess it's just that venue. It's a killer place. Do you, uh, do you get to get, because I, I have to imagine, cause, and not only because they're your friends, but just the music you created. Do you miss that band? Because I know you were looking for a lead singer for a while. Uh, Corey Taylor was rumored. Uh, now with the the reunion, I don't know if Velvet Revolver is officially dead. I mean, you can never never say never. I guess. Uh, do, do you miss do you like? Do you ever jam with Slash? Uh, you know, just uh, for shits and giggles. Still, you know, I guess. Where, where's your status, or is there a status with Velvet? You know, I I think it's it's like you said. You know, I don't I don't foresee it happening anytime soon. I don't because I just I guess I just can't imagine how it would happen. Yeah. You know, unless it was, and I think at this point, especially with all the big machine of Guns N' Roses moving forward. No pun intended, big machine. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I liked it. I just don't, I just don't know how it's going to, how it would happen. I just, you know, until it, maybe all the dust from this GNR iteration settled and, you know, maybe if there was more time and someone the right person came along or who knows was there unreleased you know? or unwritten material uh that you guys had for for potentially a third record or just um or was it just i don't the... think we no we didn't have okay more stuff than we all I right mean, even on libertad we only recorded we literally only recorded one more song than came hmm. that was than the songs that were on the record that's interesting, man. Which makes me wonder, what exactly was the demise of Velvet Revolver? Because I don't think everybody really knows. You know, you have this first album, which was a huge success, several big hits, which are still being played at, you know, sports arenas, as you just said, Brando. And I think it was unexpected, too. I don't think people knew what to make of it. For sure. And then, but people were anticipating it when they heard Scott Weiland, the guys from Guns N' Roses, and then that's... And se- I think Audio Slave helped, because that was, like, the first, like, supergroup of that ilk that sure. sounded awesome, so... And then yeah. that that second album came out, and it went, it went, for the most part, I would say, under the radar. Do you think that was a problem of management, or... Was it maybe Scott's drug problems? Because pretty shortly after that record, things kind of dissolved. As Brando mentioned, the rumors of Corey Taylor that just never happened. So 
Wh- why do you think there was that demise of the band? Uh, drugs. Mm. <laughs> I honestly, I, I, you know, as far as the record, I think it was just that we made a record that I just don't think we were ready to make a record on the you second know, like, one. We, yeah, because when we did that one, dude, we started with Rick Rubin. We started with Rick Rubin. We did, you know, and he has a very laid-back way of making records. And you just write a bunch of shit, you record it, and he listens to it, and he goes, oh, that thing's good, or why don't you work on that some more? And then he'll just, when he thinks you're ready, he'll tell you, all right, let's make a record. But we were getting really impatient. He charges, at the time he charged two different tiers like for new bands and established bands, because we were a new band in our minds, we thought we would get the cheaper rate and we got the more expensive rate. And Matt or Scott flipped out and he was like, fuck that. I'll fucking call Brendan O'Brien right now. And he literally called Brendan and Brendan was available like within a week and was like, all right, I'll come out. Nice. And, that's how. That's literally how we switched producers, hmm. and the band agreed to it because we were getting impatient too, and we were like, "All right, Brendan's great too, and let's do it." And, but I think that we just weren't ready. I don't think the songs were there. I think there's some great songs on there, but there's just no, you know, there's no like slither. There was, you know, like last bite could have been like fall to pieces, but as far as ish. But there was no, like, big, like, hit song. I didn't like the first single being... You, you know, like She Builds, Quick Machines? Machines? Yeah. I mean, I like I, that I'm song. I'm never a huge fan of that song. Okay. I thought I fought for Get Out the Door to be the first single. It was just a catchier tune, and I don't know. It just it just seemed like we Frankenstein a lot of the songs together during the production process, and I just feel like we weren't ready. Do you think part of the problem might have been the initial excitement of people saying, you know, we haven't heard Slash and Duff uh, together on an album in, in however many years? and They're trying ex- to rebrand and stop, they don't want to answer Guns N' Roses questions anymore. Sure, but and people are excited to hear Scott Weiland and after that first album and the hits, do you think maybe some of the excitement from the general public wore off? I, it's, you know, I don't know. Not for it's me. It's possible. <laughs> I mean, it's possible, but I think that like I said, from my as an artist, as part of the group, you know, I can't speak for the general public, but sure. I can speak for internally that, you know, I just think that we made a record that we weren't ready to make. I think it was premature and I think that, you know, we should have spent more time writing some more songs. We we wrote sixty over sixty songs for the first record hmm. worth of music and then gave them to Scott and then he Frankenstein them together and sang on them. And the second record, we did maybe 35 to 40. But apparently we needed to do more. That's that's just my opinion. I think we weren't ready. I think we, you know, kind of threw it together somewhat and didn't honor the process that we had for the second record. And, you know, that was, that was it. And then the demise of the band just came because... You know, people were drinking and doing shit, and and I think, you know, back to that whole Chris Cornell, you know, uh, drug addiction, and, and you know, drug addiction and alcoholism is like a disease of isolation. 
you know, and, and Scott, like we, you know, when we talked about it before and we talked about your dad and how he started isolating himself before, you know, his end and, and Scott was doing the same thing. You know, he had his own bus, all the band would be on one bus and he'd be on a separate bus and he wouldn't hang out. He wouldn't, we literally would see him like five minutes before the show and then we'd see him for the show and then he'd like leave right after the show. I have to ask, was he always like that though? Because uh, so here's the thing: I don't, it sounds like like Axel with behavior, like early '90s, well, a little bit. I don't know if I ever mentioned this on the show. So uh, growing up, uh, my friend Andy, his dad was the senior VP of Atlantic Records, so I got to go to a ton of awesome shows backstage with him, including Stone Temple Pilots at the height of their career at Madison Square Garden. Met the DeLeo brothers, yeah. met the band, and Scott Weiland was nowhere in sight. Now, this was the height of his drug days, you know, during the Tiny Music Songs' his gift shop era. But the fact that he wasn't around those other guys, and I got to see them another time at one of the DFPs backstage, Scott Weiland nowhere in sight. So did he always isolate himself even when he was doing a little bit better on that first record? No. He isolated okay. himself when he was, like, drinking and doing drugs. Mm. He didn't isolate himself in general as much because he wanted to hang out. He was more social. He was more at ease. He was more like a part of, you know, the group. And when he started drinking and doing doing more stuff, he started isolating more so he could do it. You know what I mean? Because we were all aware of it and we were all aware of each other's, you know, things. And that's what you do. It is you what you do. I mean? Yeah. I mean, to a certain extent, you, you know, if you're drinking, you hang out and you're like, you want to be social. But if you're doing anything more than that, you're starting to, you know, hide it. Oh, especially if it's any kind of drugs. A hundred percent. I was never a big drinker and something else uh, that we established our first interview that exists only in uh, the air uh, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, I haven't. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a small guy, so I don't drink a lot. You know, I'm, I'm like Dakota Fanning with tattoos. So I don't, <laughs> I, I just don't drink a lot. But there right. was a point in my life where I started to drink by myself. I was getting old George Thurgood, I drink alone, and just doing it to pass yeah. out. And I'm like, this is a problem. I'm, I, I'm really isolating myself. I'm not going out with my friends. I'm, uh, I'm missing weddings, making excuses. And yeah. I haven't drank uh, since December of 2015. Uh, so, I mean, it, it took some time. You know, uh, my therapist is awesome. Uh, shout yeah. out to Susan if she listens to my podcast. Yeah, my Susan. <laughs> <laughs> she actually probably get a kick out of that. Uh, so, I mean, it, it takes time and it, it's difficult. And that's what I think about, you know, people of, of you know, the rock star lifestyle. For me, the radio lifestyle isn't one, you know, it's like we all, everyone thinks we're cool. We're all just nerds who happen to speak into a microphone, or at least that's what I am. But if you're out and about, and that could have been part of why Izzy left to begin with, or maybe Scott couldn't handle being on the road, or who knows what happened with Chris, because I think since we last spoke, they said they found track marks. And I don't know if, I mean, that's like scary stuff that I don't think anybody knew was going on. So I had to take it upon myself to let some people know, even if it was just my therapist. But if you're a rock star, like yeah. you said, you had issues. And how long have you been, uh, you said you've been sober or you haven't done anything? In... Yeah, for 
27 years. Mazel wow. tov, man. I mean, that's 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 crazy. Yeah. And every day, I'm sure there's there's something, some sort of temptation. I mean, uh, Stephen Adler. Uh, there was an interview I heard him. This is back in the Adler's Appetite days, where he'd see like one of his guitar players with a beer on the amp, and he would just swig it, and he just feel guilty for the rest of the show and and relapse. Yeah. So it, it's it's yeah. scary and it's hard. So kudos to you to be working for so long and with so many different legendary artists, some of them with legendary drug abuse uh, abuse problems, that you've just you've survived it and have just thrived in it, which is just you know, you're yeah. you're, you're a oh, role thanks. model, Dave uh, Dave Kushner. Oh, thanks. You're well, welcome. Listen, I actually I actually am a, got to where I'm going to go. I'd love to talk to you guys some more. So maybe we can continue. You know. If you want to do more or whatever, I'm up for that. We uh, really appreciate that, Dave. I mean, I'm glad that we... we can do a part one and part two. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Oh, we're going to make this. A tr- this is going to be like the police academy. We're going to make like seven of them. Hell yeah, man. I, you know what? So <laughs> before, you, before we wrap up, then any last thoughts, you know, since we didn't really get to it so much on here, just about the passing of Chris Cornell and, and your your feelings on it now that it's pretty, pretty much sunk in over these past couple of weeks? You know, it's just sad, dude. It's sad that he was in such a dark place. Like I said before, you know, such a dark place that he had, you know, he had a family and three kids and he just had so much to live for. And that whatever it was in his mind told him that he would be better off, you know, dead than alive is just, it's heartbreaking, you know? And I don't know much more than that to say about it because except that, you know, my experience has been that, you know, drug addiction and alcoholism, you know, is partly a voice in your head that tells you those kind of things. And that's why it's so difficult and you have to work so hard at keeping it at bay. You had a good head on your shoulders, Mr. Kushner. Uh, we won't oh, we won't keep you uh, any longer. You can go to your brothel or wherever you're headed to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we appreciate it. And, and I should throw out there, you guys could follow Dave on Twitter at DaveKushner66 um, and hopefully let him know that you appreciated him coming on with us. We, we had a lot of fun. Yeah, me too, guys. Thank Good you, Dave. Again. Uh, well, yeah, I, I'm at a loss for words. I mean, this really like means a lot. So thank you. And the fact that you're offering again, uh, I'll try not to uh, yeah. uh, send you... Any inappropriate pictures in a text? All right. All right, Dave. Like Thanks, buddy. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. All right. Bye. Have a good day, man. You too. Bye. Bye. You know, the fact that he came on again and was just so cool. And now, because when we first interviewed him uh, last week, I guess it was kind of like that feeling out, you know, are these guys cool? And then it just, once we got deeper into like the Chris Cornell stuff, uh, he, he, and he saw that we were in a couple of, um, radio yokels like hey hey dave and he just opened up and the fact that you know he gave me a cell uh he once i told him what happened to the file and i suggested i'm like you know if you know i'm embarrassed i don't know what happened in my 12 plus years in in radio i'm usually super and you are i'll I'll back you up on that you are i think you cursed me though ian because there are so many times you've said to me leading up to last week we're like Man, you know, there's so many times I've oh, a couple times I won't completely like uh, embellish your story that I've forgotten to record an episode. 
no, no, no. I didn't, I didn't forget to record. There's been, uh, you know, if I were to go go into the technicalities of, you know, radio and what or happened. whatever, something happened to yeah, you. Yeah, it's the type of thing where, you know, the, the audience is gonna, isn't going to know what I'm talking about, but like where a mic wasn't. Why well, insult their audience? Maybe they uh, do. Um, okay. Well, Mike was not in program. So, I, you know, <laughs> the, I saw levels for other mics. That type of thing, but sure. yes, you are someone who I will say is meticulous with production. You take it really seriously, but shit kind of happens, man. And it's it's crazy because I've mentioned this before. I'm a huge fan of Earl Skakel's podcast, Inappropriate Earl. Oh Shout yeah, out to him. Uh, he was on the first um, what's that Comedy Central show? The roast battle. Roast battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know him from that. I really know him from his podcast. Oh. And he was the guy that just came out like half naked all the time. Yeah, he loves to do that. So he. Uh, <laughs> He talked about that on his podcast that one of the best interviews he ever did that he really loved doing, same thing that happened to us last week happened to him. And he was like, I wanted to cry. Like, it was the best episode, I, uh, I, I swear, and it's not here. And, uh, dude, it is a it is a shitty feeling. It really is. That's why I always say um, when I talk about radio in general and I explain the job to people, I always say it's not a hard job because, you, you know, digging ditches and all that and – like manual labor, that's a hard job. But what it is is a high pressure job. Yes, I because agree with especially that, yeah. if you're doing live radio, uh, no matter what happens, like it's on the air, and you're going to be blamed if you're the one board opping that thing, or you know, in ca- in the case of this podcast, there's technical problems that happen. And yeah, it's 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 definitely the type of uh, job that it's going to give you a lot of anxiety if if you're prone to that. And what I, I kept thinking, especially after I felt better when when Dave messaged me, because I just said to him on Twitter, well, what happened? Uh, Apologize, like just we, we did on uh, on the air, uh, just for, quote, wasting his time. And the fact that he didn't say that, uh, he was just, he kind of, the first thing he said, like, let's fix it and let's just go on. And it was like a weight was lifted. And what I kept thinking about was that we just did a whole episode you know, of course, talk about Guns N' Roses. This is a Guns N' Roses podcast and the relevancies with uh, with Chris Cornell and all the tying that I just got into a pretty bad depression for a few days. And I'm, I, I'm like, I'm the one who's spouting not I wouldn't call it a soapbox because I look at that as more of a negative term, but just like, hey, here's what to look out for. Here's what I've survived. Here's the daily challenges. And, you know, talking about that with Dave Kushner and we got more in depth uh, with, um, and I didn't want to. It didn't make sense to talk about it again with with Dave. And but he 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 remembered uh, what hit me the most, other than Chris Cornell being somebody I grew up with, not literally, but just the, the music. Sure, was it that feels he, like you grew up with them. Oh sure, I remember the first time seeing Black Hole Sun the video, seeing like how weird is this? Uh, you know, one of my first few bands that got me into the Guns N' Roses. Side. I mean, I mean, Guns N' Roses first, of course, but sure. just one of those bands that pushed me more towards the rock direction was that I'm talking to Dave Kushner. I never thought from Velvet Revolver uh, about my dad's. As I hit the microphone, <laughs> uh, my dad's own suicide. That I yeah. would, I, I thought I would never talk about it, or when would be the appropriate time, if there is one. Uh, you know, I many people were affected by Robin Williams. Uh, I think that was that might have been the first, at least from my, our generation, of a highly publicized suicide like that, and especially with social media. And I'm reading like you know people trying to classify or declassify what health, mental health means. Uh, so I'm living through that, and it was maybe like a year after. So a lot of the, my wounds were fresh at the time. 
And then uh, Aaron Hernandez, the football player who committed suicide in jail, was a few months ago. And then uh, now it was okay for people to make suicide jokes because he was a, you know, he killed people. And now with Chris Cornell, you know, when I first heard about it, I'm like, why would he commit suicide? And then reading about it, and it's like, now here's the time. This is what makes sense. I'm seeing what his death, it wasn't like he got into, I mean, it would have been tragic regardless if he had a, a car accident or cancer, you know, get better Olivia Newton-John, apparently as she has cancer. Uh, but the fact of the way that he died and that I could somehow relate to that, and I'm seeing a lot of my friends somewhat struggling, I'm like, you know, with it, like he was my outlet. His music was my outlet for depression. And I'm like, okay, you know what? Here's my chance to say, this is what I've done. This is what I've survived. I'm not talking out of my ass. I've lived through a lot of this shit. I'm still am. Mm -hmm. And for that audio to be lost with somebody with Dave Kushner, I was, I like regressed for three days. You know, I'm not, uh, nothing where is the point of danger, but just a lot of the thoughts went there. And I just kept thinking, that's all it takes, man. That's maybe, that's all it took for Chris Cornell. Just like a little, like, you know, I can't even, there, there's my... Yeah, Although let's not, not be over dramatic here, because I even I even said to you when it happened, I was like, literally, don't you, kill yourself you, over this. You said that I was like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, man! Just, now, because that's like a phrase. Yeah. I don't kill yourself now. Like that's it registers different to me. I'm not offended by it. I'm not yeah, one of those people. I'll, I'll see. Here's the thing. This has happened to me before, but not to an episode as important as this. Not to something as meaningful. Like this would be on my highlight real of radio interviews you helped me by not getting upset because that would have made things worse and reading and here's another thing too what chris cornell's wife was ta how, talking about her husband after uh and just realizing what she said to him and how she said i'm not you know um you know did you take anything i'm not going to be mad you know certain ways to do it and that's how kind of you handled me i'm not mad you know like yeah. we'll fix this so that that helped me as well and just the fact that it shows the power of of Guns N' Roses, that the fact that he came on and I don't know, I think maybe he attached himself a little bit to my story. You know, he I think he appreciated that my my honesty with it and I, maybe he identified a little bit with it. So the fact that Dave Kushner, you know, somebody that I never spoke to, um, you know, other than uh, through tweets uh, a, a week ago that he's willing to come on again, spend his time. You know, it just it makes my the Guns N' Roses universe like extending the people who are connected there there are some amazing people sure and i want to get to that you know other than just the obvious we want to get Axel. we love to get slash we never happened but i mean just the, these side characters i guess it could a, it could there happen. are some wonderful people and i'm not just it wasn't just blowing smoke when i uh, to him when i read that i'm like this guy does not need to do this you know he didn't need to come on the first time he didn't need to talk to us for an hour only reason he got off now is that he's, you know, he hit his destination. He made his time. Sure. You heard what he said now. He wants to come on again. It's just, it's great. And it's music that is that connection. And that's what Guns N' Roses is for a lot of people. And that's what Soundgarden is to a lot of people. And that's my rant. Yeah. No, I, it, it's, I, I'm with you 100%. However, yeah, so I, I didn't make it as big a deal of it, I guess. Uh, I one of the things is over the years I've realized like radio it's what I do I'm glad to be a part of it but this does not define me all these interviews that I do it's great it doesn't define me and we got a good interview out of him that I think people are really going to enjoy and hopefully we do do a part two but uh, the fact that we lost an amazing interview it sucks but I will live. <laughs> I feel better now because we can't um, like I said uh, get back that that. that moment in time 
And I don't want people to think that who are listening that there were some tidbits that we, you know, he, he dropped a bombshell that we're not going to tell you. If something comes up, you know. We'll- yeah, I'm trying to, th- you know, he did talk about in the first interview that we did, um, he talked about going to the Guns N' Roses reunion show on April 1st. That yes. He was there. He was there at the show. And, and he had kind of mixed feelings about it. He did get into that, how it was almost like, I wish I was up there. Right. You know, and and also I kind of asked him about, you know, it's got to be weird. Who's this girl with the blue hair up here? I have I have history with these guys. Why am I not up there? You know, so we got into that a little bit. and We didn't get into it this time. But that that I thought was pretty well, interesting. I think he touched on it just a little bit, knowing that he's like Axel's going to bring his guy Fortis. And he has the utmost respect because he said that last time. He's like Richard Fortis is a sick guitar player. I've never heard a bad word about Richard at all. Uh, what I guess find interesting is that he's so down for this reunion and you know we joke who sure. wouldn't want to be in guns and roses well there's a lot of people who tried out in the chinese democracy era just go to the wikipedia page the amount of drummers and guitarists i mean it's 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 crazy that you, you could be scared off i guess you know someone like sure. him who's not he's kind of made a name for himself a little bit here and there i personally you know and it's not a shot at all i just never heard of bumblefoot before guns and roses i mean i'm sure in that uh, in that world, in that environment, you know, I'm not a musician. Uh, I'm sure he is well known, but I, I personally did not hear of him until Guns N' Roses. People I didn't also... hear about Dave Kushner until Velvet Revolver. Sure, but I mean, he worked in a lot of, you know, bands that were solid. Yes, yeah, sometimes it just takes that defining thing. Oh, I, I don't think. Uh, I think some people heard of DJ Ashba before he was in the band. People heard of Six AM. DJ Ashba wasn't as much of an established name. Beautiful until Creatures, uh, Beautiful Creatures was like a, and Bullet Boys for a very short period Bullet of time. Boys? For a very short so period of time, opinion. could you imagine uh, seeing Bullet Boys with him touring? <laughs> That's so. Weird. It's kind of interesting, but he he is a fan of that '80s glam hair metal era. I mean, that's why he does stuff with Nikki Six. Sure. So, and then the other piece of news that he it's not news, but the other thing that I wanted to bring up that he mentioned in the, in the original interview that is lost is that I we talked about Slither being on the backup set list, the the alternate yeah. set list for Guns N' Roses, and I asked, who would you want to see sing it? And he was like, is there even a question? <laughs> Axl Rose. Because in my mind, I was like, I could see Duff maybe singing that, and, right. and, and Axl right. sitting that one out, as he often does, as he leaves the stage. Um, for and then Attitude, comes back out. and there's a, there's a couple songs where he leaves, and it can make sense, and then... Yeah, now we're rehashing what Dave had said on that first um, yeah. interview that apparently never happened. But, yeah, I mean, that's what I feel a little bit better about is that, you know, he, there weren't any bombshells other than it was just an emotional interview. And we got some of that out now. And the fact that he's offering to come on again and again, I mean, that's just it's, it's wonderful. The fact that this is our 20th episode, Ian. Remember yeah. that now. Uh, that It just it, it means something special. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be all... Uh, gooey about it it just it meant a lot you know when i got all that emotion out i mean we, we talk about that. There's a lot of people who send us episodes are uh feedback with emotion what this band means to them what music means to them what this mo- period in time means to them so i that's why we started this we we keep talking about it why guns and roses podcast yes we all like the band we're all you know about the rock and roll and everything i get it but it's all about the common connection uh between people and bringing you know we may never have met 
otherwise, except we met through Guns N' Roses. And that's how sure. we, we spoke through uh, Dave Kushner. And I, at least for me, I've had two very productive conversations with him. I think One part, of which you'll hear. <laughs> yeah, I think part of the reason why Guns N' Roses podcast we hit on earlier during the interview, when you said the amount of secrecy, that is what kind of attracts me to talk about Guns N' Roses sure. so much. I mean, I'll be, I'll be completely transparent here. I... When people ask me my favorite band, it's really a toss-up between Deftones and Guns N' Roses. But the reason that I would never I think to do a Deftones podcast really is because there's not that secrecy with that band. There's not there's there's a great catalog and all that, but I don't think I don't I can think talk there's the fan base them. either for that. Maybe yeah, I, Deftones have a very die-hard fan base. I feel like, but it's not as they're not playing. They're not headlining I mean, football stadiums. No, no, they're yeah. not. And I think they finally agreed to tour with Corn because there was that was they like, did. I didn't hear about that. Oh, uh, I mean, there was like. Uh, you know, a bunch of stories out for a while. How they, I saw they that. refused to tour with Corn, not just like anything personal, but they didn't want to be considered new metal. Yeah. And now there's, uh, I don't know. I think there's like, oh, I didn't mean that to be bad blood. Yeah, sure, we would tour with you, kind of thing. See, I haven't seen that, and I get why they wouldn't tour with them because I do agree that Deftones has transcended the genre of new metal. Deftones are a rock band to me. Yeah, no, they're and, they're completely different. Yeah, and Corn. They're still a part of that. They're still like a niche thing that if you go see them today, and I like Corn, it's still like a nostalgia from the 90s type of thing. And Deftones have progressed with every album, although I don't really like the last album, but every album is something new. It's hard to say because there are a lot of people who would say Guns N' Roses is a nostalgia thing. And yet every time, you know, we're not doing enough podcasts to keep up with the news. Yeah. You know, we want to get to that point to keep up with it. So it's just it's just fascinating, and I'm glad that uh, all is well that ends well. You know, obviously uh, I could have done without the Ajda, you know, of having that happen. But uh, a good you maybe thing, learned something from it. I did learn. I'm making a fucking backup right now as we're recording this. So uh, so yeah, I, I apologize just for the delay in getting out the episode because we like to do these the, uh, these a little bit um, more often, at least uh, every couple weeks. Um, but we're now that this is out of the way, we we can't wait to get more interviews and, and of course Dave Kushner on for part two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, or whatever we, we decide to do. So uh very gracious and uh anything else you want to share, my dear Ian, before we uh depart? No, I think that uh that says it all. Thanks to Dave Kushner for coming on and I'll plug his Twitter again because if you guys tweet him and let him know that you appreciated the interview, I think uh it, it would mean something to him. So at Dave Kushner sixty six Follow him, tell him to come back on with us, and let him know that he's talking to more than two people. <laughs> yes. Yeah, let me know that I'm, uh, we're talking to more than two people. Uh, speaking of which, actually, we will address one of those people. Uh, this is from my GNR forum. We, we read um, one of his critiques uh, before. This was after the Rachel Lauren episode. when you Rachel were, Loren. Loren, How whatever. You? Basically, you, were, you, you know, you had a... Uh, I won't be perverted. You had a mental boner the entire time. Not a She's fucking up. I know. Not a physical boner. You're not an, an actual pervert. Uh, but <laughs> this was, um, oh my God, what's the name? Stoymatic. Stoymatic. He writes in the GNR forum. Um, he was happy. He's like, uh, I'm special. I was mentioned. I just got done listening to episodes 18 to 19. FYI, if you missed an episode, you can find them on iTunes and uh, iHeart. Which is 
Apple Podcasts now. Oh, true. He's like, as I said uh, before, my favorite podcast of all times. That's the guy who said it should be time, but he adds an S. But that's okay. I like him. So I don't want you guys to think I was bashing you with my comment after episode 17. No, it's all good. He's like, um, we can call it constructive criticism. Ha, ha, ha. I mean, if I had a super, super hot chick in front of me, I wouldn't be talking about anything else but her either. So he's with you. <laughs> uh, I'm very happy you talked about the uh, Mitch LaFon, Stephen Adler interview. So if you missed that, you want to go back and find that. I'd love to talk to Mitch and get him back on again. And I think we're supposed to be in his podcast. He extended that interview, uh, that um, invitation. Uh, it was w- good to hear someone else's opinion on the subject. So thanks. Oh, and by the way, uh, his username is Stoymatic. If you're on the GNR forum, if you want to know, it's a play in his middle name, Stoy, and the greatest app, uh, rap album of all time. Illmatic. Oh, Illmatic is an excellent album. I knew you would appreciate that, yeah. Mr. Uh, Hippity Hop. It's cool. There's, you know, Guns N' Roses slash Nas fans. That's why we're trying to bring it all together. We find that nucleus of Guns N' Roses and everything else around. We try to bring that in. You know, that's the distortion of this. So, uh, this was episode 20. Uh, when will 21 be? Hopefully soon. But in the words of Axl Rose concerning Chinese democracy, I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. You've been listening to the distorted minds of Brando and Scotto, dissecting all things Guns N' Roses on Appetite for Distortion. Follow the guys on Twitter at The AFD Show and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The AFD Show. Yeah!